It's Friday, January the 14th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, SCOTUS blocks big vaccines mandates, and Prince Andrew relinquishes titles. First, the world in brief. By a 6-3 vote, the Supreme Court struck down the Biden's administration's requirement that large employers mandate COVID-19 jabs, or regular testing of employees, which would have affected about 84 million people. But it upheld a separate vaccine mandate for healthcare workers at facilities that receive federal funding. Two Conservative justices, John Roberts and Brett Kavanaugh, joined the court's three Liberals in that ruling. Prince Andrew relinquished his military titles and patronages with the Queen's, quote, approval and agreement, a day after a judge in New York allowed a sexual assault lawsuit against him to proceed. He will continue to refrain from public duties while defending the case as a private citizen. He denies allegations that he raped Virginia Dufay when she was a teenager. Citigroup, an American finance firm, agreed to sell its consumer franchises in Indonesia, Malaysia, Thailand and Vietnam, part of a plan to pull out of retail banking in Asia. United Overseas Bank of Singapore will pay $3.7 billion for the businesses. Citi will continue to service institutional clients in the region. The bank eventually hopes to release $7 billion of equity by withdrawing from 13 retail markets. Meta, Facebook's parent company, was hit with a £2.3 billion, $3.2 billion, class action suit over allegations it used its market power to exploit the personal data of 44 million users in Britain. The case is being brought by an academic specialising in competition law. The social media giant also faces an antitrust lawsuit in America after a judge rejected the firm's motion to dismiss it earlier this week. Prosecutors charged Stuart Rhodes, the founder of the Oath Keepers, a far-right group, and 10 members with seditious conspiracy over the deadly attacks on America's capital last January. The indictment says Mr Rhodes started sending messages to his followers in December 2020 after Donald Trump lost the election. Seditious conspiracy carries a maximum sentence of 20 years' imprisonment. President Joe Biden promised 500 million more tests for COVID-19 to be distributed for free to American households, in addition to the 500 million he announced in December. Worldwide, the number of new infections increased by 55% to over 50 million in the past week, a record high according to the World Health Organization. More than 43,000 deaths were recorded over the same period. Dmitry Peskov, a spokesman for the Kremlin, said talks on Wednesday with NATO over Russia's military threat to Ukraine were, quote, unsuccessful, although there were, quote, positive elements. Neither party could find common ground on fundamental issues, such as Russia's unrealistic demands that NATO not be expanded. Earlier, NATO's Secretary-General, Jen Stoltenberg, warned of a, quote, real risk for new armed conflict in Europe. And fact of the day. 
18%. The share of GDP spent on healthcare in America. Equivalent to $3.6 trillion a year. And now, here's today's agenda. American Banks Earnings Day Banks have their fingers in many pies. They issue credit cards and mortgages to ordinary people, trade stocks and bonds, and finesse deals for big corporations. Their earnings therefore offer a well-rounded glimpse into how an economy is faring. The latest dispatches will come from Citigroup, J.P. Morgan Chase and Wells Fargo, three of America's biggest lenders, which all report fourth-quarter profits on Friday. Their results are likely to be decidedly mixed. Credit card spending flagged in December as Omicron spread. Trading revenues, which have boomed in frenzied stock markets during the pandemic, are expected to soften. There is good news for bank bosses too. The Federal Reserve is expected to react to strong economic activity and hot inflation by raising interest rates soon and fast. Higher interest rates tend to pad the profits of lending businesses. Banks' shares have been climbing. The KBW index of leading banks is up by 10% since the middle of December. Germany's GDP worries On Friday, Destatis, Germany's statistics agency, is due to present preliminary figures for last year's GDP, as well as a general health assessment for Europe's biggest economy. Most forecasters expect growth in 2021 to have been around 2.5%. This year, as the Omicron variant spreads, inflation is rising and supply chain bottlenecks are tightening. This has led pundits to revise down bullish forecasts for GDP growth in 2022 from more than 5% to much lower figures. Siegfried Russworm, head of the BDI, a business lobby group, says German industry lost around 50 billion euros, 57 billion dollars in 2021 because of the scarcity of microchips and raw materials. Expecting a similar loss this year, he forecasts GDP will grow by just 3.5% in 2022. The economic troubles caused by the pandemic are not yet over. The miserable state of the French left The left has supplied two modern French presidents, François Mitterrand and François Hollande, A decade ago it controlled the presidency, both houses of parliament and most regions and big cities. Yet today, ahead of a two-round presidential election in April, it is in deep trouble. Anne Hidalgo, mayor of Paris and the socialist candidate, is polling at just 4%. This would disqualify the party from the runoff vote for the second consecutive time. The left's main problem is fragmentation. As well as Miss Hidalgo, other candidates include the Greens Yannick Jadot and Jean-Luc Mélenchon, a 70-year-old firebrand who is on his third presidential bid. The problem could get worse still. Between January 27th and 30th, over 100,000 grassroots voters will participate in an online, quote, citizens' primary 
to pick their favourite. Christian Taubira, a former justice minister from French Guiana, says that if she wins this, she will run for the presidency too. Turkey and Armenia reach for rapprochement. Turkish and Armenian envoys meet on Friday to discuss prospects for normalising relations between the estranged neighbours. Although Turkey recognised Armenia after the collapse of the Soviet Union, the two countries separated by a 300-kilometre border and the legacy of the Armenian genocide during the First World War never established diplomatic links. They came close in 2009 before a backlash by nationalists on both sides, as well as objections from Azerbaijan, which had fought a bloody war with Armenia over Nagorno-Karabakh in the 1990s. Things are different today. Armenia, which lost parts of Nagorno-Karabakh to Azerbaijan in 2020, is negotiating from a position of weakness. America and the European Union, which once saw reproachment as a way to dilute Russian influence in the region, are largely absent from the negotiations. Turkey has become cosier with Russia. Tellingly, whereas the talks in 2009 took place in Zurich, the new ones are being held in Moscow. Footnotes. Our business editor on the new interventionism. Relations between state and business in the capitalist world go through phases, as Jan Piotrowski, our business editor, argues in a special report. After applying a light touch for 40 years, governments are once again becoming more hands-on. To understand the latest shift, Jan began looking at the history of state meddling. The Commanding Heights, a book by Daniel Jürgen and Joseph Stanislaw published in 1998, offers a fast-paced survey of 20th century interventionism around the world. The authors also correctly foreshadowed the backlash to globalised capitalism all the more impressive since they were writing at the height of the Liberal consensus. The next task was getting to grips with the new interventionists' motivations and toolkit. Danny Roderick, an economist at Harvard University, elegantly laid out an early case of 21st century industrial policy. Lena Kahn probably owes her position as head of America's Federal Trade Commission to her much-cited paper from 2017 on the inadequacy of contemporary competition policy. The Mercatus Centre, a free market think tank, does a terrific job of putting numbers on various countries' regulatory burdens, play around with its QuantGov database. The OECD is the place to go to understand trends in corporate taxation. Much of the rest relied on conversations with policymakers, CEOs, academics and other experts, many of whom agree to talk on condition of anonymity. This coyness illustrates just how delicate the subject of greater state involvement in business has become. Winter Quiz, the winners of week five. Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners chosen at random from each continent were Asia, Christopher Lewis, Tokyo, Japan, North America, Greg Sherbine, Montgomery, United States. Central and South America, Gonzalo, Mendita, Romero, La Paz, Bolivia. Europe, Mike Waiter, London, England. Africa, Christine Reiter, Tunis, Tunisia. There were no entries from Antarctica.
They all gave the correct answers of Billy Joel, Ezra Pound, David Solomon and Ruth Bader Ginsburg. The theme connecting them all? The books of the Old Testament. Stay tuned next week for another round of our winter quiz or summer quiz for those in the Southern Hemisphere. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Lewis Carroll, who died on this day in 1898. Courtesy is a small act, but it packs a mighty wallop. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening. 